I'm Greg Jarrett. I'm Sandra Smith. I'm Charles Payne, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Thursday, November 26, 2020. I'm Trey Yingst. President-elect Biden is expected to take a different approach towards China during his administration. It doesn't matter if you go from one administration to the next, that American policy is consistent. And actually, consistency of policy is probably the most important thing if you want to change Chinese behavior. This is the Fox News Rundown, Evening Edition. An ongoing trade dispute between the U.S. and China plagued much of the Trump administration. Also, with military exercises in the South China Sea and questions about who should be held accountable for the outbreak of COVID-19, the Biden administration will have many important foreign policy decisions to make. So what can we expect to happen after the inauguration when it comes to relations between Washington and Beijing? On the one hand, it's difficult to tell. This is James Carafano, the vice president for national security and foreign policy at the Heritage Foundation. You can't really listen to what people say on the campaign trail. It doesn't really tell you very much. If you went back, for example, to Obama and McCain, they sounded identical on the campaign campaign trail. I used to give people different quotes and say, who said this? And you couldn't tell. And, and, And in retrospect, if you look at Obama's campaign rhetoric from the first election and what he actually did in foreign policy, they don't look alike at all. Um, we do know, for example, if, if Biden were president, um, we have a lot of people who he's named who were part of the Obama foreign policy team. Well, you know, on the one hand, that's not very encouraging. Uh, Obama had a terrible track record on, on foreign policy. Uh, really didn't do anything to subsequently deal with China, so that's that's not very encouraging. On the other hand, um, you know, f- four years have gone by, so you just can't go back to you know Obama policies, uh, and so you you would wonder, hey, are, you know, are they they going to do things differently? The other big variable in the China relationship is, you know, unlike you know we say this is the era of great power competition, but unlike dealing with North Korea or Iran or Russia. China has a lot of cards to play, and and a lot of this will depend on uh, how China wants to pursue the relationship with the United States. So the president's not like the president gets a free hand. You know, they say the enemy gets a vote. Certainly, the Chinese will get a vote. You know, what are the top issues? Well, if you look at the top issues, uh, we're actually in a pretty good place now. And it might say, well, regardless of who's president in January, the answer is just keep doing what you're doing. So uh, South China Sea is a good example. For the, for the first time in really over a decade, the U.S. has been very, very aggressive in pressing freedom of navigation. And in, in countries that have territorial maritime disputes with China, we, we very much pick the side. We're, we no longer sit back and say, well, this is between you guys. So the U.S. position in South China Seas is extremely well staked out. To back off any of that would, would really be a step back. I was going to ask you exactly on the, the military front, too. I, I think that a lot of people don't really grasp just how many resources the Chinese have and, and how large their military could be if they wanted to expand it beyond the levels of today. I mean, what sort of future threats does the United States face? And you talk about the position that the incoming administration is in come January. And 
there has been this sort of shift in uh, a more pressure campaign on China, similar to what we've seen with the Iranian regime, but uh, different in the sense that a lot of the focus had to do with the trading relationship. Right. So in, in the military relationship, you have to look at the Chinese threat uh, in the many dimensions. Because, you know, we don't fight on land, we don't fight in the sea, we don't fight in the air. We fight in all these places simultaneously. Nobody understands this more than the Chinese. And they've been very aggressive in expanding their capabilities to operate in space and to deny other people access to space in cyberspace, uh, in their naval forces, uh, in their strategic forces, which almost nobody talks about. The, the difference still between the Chinese and the United States is the Chinese are still not really an expeditionary military. Most of their power projection is really either is projecting power in the region. But the United States is a global power with global interests and global responsibilities, and we still have to operate in the Atlantic in the Pacific and other places. And so the last four years, as opposed to the Obama years, instead of pulling money out of the military, we've been putting money into the military. And that has really enabled us to make investments across the board. We buy more submarines. We're, we're, we built a space force. We, um, we are, we, we're buying F-35s at an unprecedented rate. We're buying more ships. If we stop or slow down that, essentially that shrinks the advantage between the United States and China, and that is that's a greatly troubling concern. The other has mil- issue that has military implications is the Chinese are really seeking kind of waypoints around the world, so they're looking for places where they could potentially operate out of of in Africa, in Latin America, in the Atlantic, in Europe. Uh, that's not a military competition, but it's competition where the, the Chinese are looking to make investments and own ports and, and different facilities, which over time could turn into a military concern, a place they essentially could take their forces to. So uh, competing with China in the, in the Western Pacific, what's often called the Second Island Chain, uh, in Latin America, in Africa, the, these, this is really, really important as well. That there's almost no aspect of the competition where I'd say it's actually safe for the United States. Say, oh, let's just pull back. You know, let's let's. And, and this is to me, I think, is what's very concerning is when people talk about, well, let's find common ground with the Chinese. Well, the Chinese have no interest in, in looking for common ground. They're looking for advantage, and so anything that you might do to placate the Chinese, that would essentially be a signal that we're going back to the old U.S. policy, which is we're not going to push back on you as you expand your interests at the expense of our interests. I think that's incredibly dangerous. You've been listening to James Carafano, the Vice President for National Security and Foreign Policy at the Heritage Foundation. We'll be right back. When you have a, a new president... A, President-elect Biden has has started to announce some of the key foreign policy positions and national security positions that are going to make up his administration. And I wanted to get a better picture of what it looks like in terms of where the actions stem from. What sort of executive actions could a new administration take when it comes to China policy? 
And what sort of actions are they going to have to look to lawmakers down the street on Capitol Hill to find some sort of bipartisan way forward? Well, you know, I think the U.S. has made a lot of executive actions in terms of Chinese investments. So, for example, on trying to block the apps, TikTok and, and WeChat, blocking Chinese investments uh, in, in related to uh, companies that are controlled by the Chinese military, uh, limiting access to Chinese scholars and other people staying in the country that are uh, tied to the Chinese military. And across the board, the, U- the U.S. has this policy which is re- called reciprocity, which is why do we let the Chinese do stuff that they don't allow us to do? So, for example, U.S. diplomats can't go anywhere in China unless they get permission. We used to let Chinese diplomats go anywhere they want and talk to any- anybody they want to. Now we don't. So there's a whole raw, you know, whole lineup of executive orders essentially limiting Chinese access uh, and uh, essentially punishing Chinese Chinese behavior. The Biden team could walk in if there's if, if there was a Biden team they could walk in on day one and they could eliminate all of those, saying okay, well that's a gesture to China. But but of course that's a problem because none of those things are really punishing China. Really, all those things really are treating the Chinese the way the Chinese treat us. And if we stop doing that, it's not a gesture of friendship. It's just basically a gesture of of weakness. So literally all the things you could do by executive order, which would back off what we're doing now, I think would really be seen as the Chinese as a play of weakness. You know, conversely, uh, you could continue to kind of do the things that we're doing now, limiting Chinese access and other things under this the notion of reciprocity. We shouldn't give the Chinese a free lunch when when they don't treat us the same way in terms of how they treat our companies and everything else. That would actually, I think, send a very, very strong signal to the Chinese that just be, just that doesn't matter if you go from one administration to the next, that American policy is consistent. And actually, consistency of policy is probably the most important thing if you want to change Chinese behavior. You know, look, you always hear on the campaign trail, everybody says, well, what the other guy did was terrible. I'm going to do all the opposite. Well, you know, this is, you know, maybe you don't like Trump's hair or tweeting or anything else. But the reality is, is if you look at foreign policy, particularly on the big issues and particularly on China, on virtually all the issues, you want to use different rhetoric? Fine. You want to say we're doing things differently? Fine. Because the Chinese don't pay attention anyway. But actually changing the policies would be a big there. I'll give you a good example. The one thing the Biden team has has talked about is we're going to rejoin the World Health Organization. Well, the World Health Organization performed horribly during the pandemic. Much of the reason why they performed so poorly is because they were so susceptible to pressure from China. Um, The U.S. put a reform agenda on the table and says, if you don't do these things, your performance is not credible. The World Health Organization refused to do those things. And so to essentially go back and rejoin the World Health Organization, knowing there is zero chance for reform, essentially validates Chinese behavior in the WHO. That is not a sign of, I'm, I'm willing to work in international organizations. That's a sign of, of weakness. And it certainly makes it difficult 
amid this pandemic, when there is talk of trying to hold the Chinese accountable for the early days of COVID-19, I guess my last question has to do with that. I mean, do you see an incoming Biden administration taking any sort of tough approach on China when it comes to the accountability part of COVID-19? And how does the idea of rejoining the World Health Organization play into that ability because we know the relationship between the World Health Organization and the Chinese Communist Party. Well, I mean, the, I, I do want to put this on the table because it's a really important part of the bigger picture. International organizations like the World Health Organization are no longer places where people go to establish international norms and cooperate. These are battlefields and great power competition where the Chinese are in there trying to manipulate these organizations for their outcomes. And the last thing I would say is people say lots of things on the campaign trail. Uh, who knows if that actually influences what they actually do or not. The, the campaign rhetoric from the Biden administration was, was all wrong on China. It wasn't tough. Uh, what we really need is an administration that's going to be tough on China. But oftentimes you hear people have campaign rhetoric and do different. You know, Woodrow Wilson, FDR both got elected on a, on a, platform of keeping America out of the war. Both of, both of them took us to war. So so we'll, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Among many other things, uh, people are, are waiting to see, you know, what exactly is going to play out in terms of control on Capitol Hill as well, because that certainly will play a role in any administration's ability to continue to do the work they do. Uh, James Carafano, the VP for National Security and Foreign Policy at the Heritage Foundation. James, thank you for your time. Thank you. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.